Interesting, Joshua. What was that? <laughs> so that was a woman in <laughs> Spanish. A real woman? A, <laughs> she was a Google, a Google woman. A Google woman who was saying? She was saying, hello, everyone. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey. And I forgot to write the word podcast, so she just said One Nation Under Whiskey. Oh, okay. Well, she's new to this. She is new to this. I could see why she would maybe get it wrong. I don't see why you would get it wrong, but I could see why she would get it wrong. At this point in the game, you should know exactly why I get it wrong. <laughs> well, the podcast has been introduced and your name has been mentioned. Has, mm -hmm. has something else been missed with our use of a Google woman? Well, I used the Google woman as a way to hint as to what this episode might be about, Jason. Right. But we're not going to introduce Jason today. Oh, no. Uh, I am joined... Yeah, we don't get this part in Spanish. <laughs> I tell you, I went... Uh, I, I've told you this before, but the listeners don't know this. You've told me everything before, many times. I don't think everything. Everything. Everything? Everything. Everything? Many times. Many everythings. So what is this thing you have not told the listeners? That, you know, I took four years of Spanish in high school. Actually... <laughs> I take that back. It took three years of Spanish. <laughs> I failed in my freshman year uh, French because A, I didn't like it. B, I was a terrible student. And C, I remember a time where I got sent to the principal's office for asking my teacher what voulez-vous coucher avec moi ce soir meant. She's like, you know exactly what that means, Mr. Hatton. Now go see Mr. Legenza, who, by the way, was my principal. And anybody who had Mr. Legenza lovingly referred to him as Applehead. I'm not even going to ask our um, little trick of the tape for yeah. our French teachers was to ask them if we were going to have French letters. <laughs> Do you know what a French letter is slang for? Ooh, I don't know. Is that like a Cleveland steamer? <laughs> <laughs> a French letter is another name for a condom. Oh. Why is it called a French? Oh, well, there's a town in France called Condom. There is that. There's also the ripping of the, of the container. Okay. <laughs> I don't think. I only mean. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening right now? Containers. Now, what would you call the thing, the little envelope that a condom's in? What would you call that? You can call it an envelope, would you? No, I wouldn't call it an envelope. What would you call it? Just a little, little, little. Right. The like things a, we don't like think sealed, about. A sealed bag? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know what? Listeners, if you know what the little... <laughs> sachet. Sachet is that that, uh, <laughs> that holds condoms, please feel free to email us questions at One Nation Under Whiskey. But no, so I, so I failed my first year of French. And then I took three years of Spanish. And the only things that I remember... En español is how to uh, how to say uh, I don't have my homework, which is no tengo la tarea. That's why you told that person when we got right off the airplane into Spain. You told them you didn't have your homework. I didn't know why you were telling them that. 
They didn't know why you were telling them that either. <laughs> but now it all becomes clear. Yep, I didn't have my homework. Um, and I can, I can also say, puedo ir al baño? May I use the bathroom? But baño here, by the way, because we're done hinting, Jason and I are in Spain, in Jerez, and bathroom in Spain is not baño. It's another word that has the word ass in it. Yeah, it's like asios. Asios. Oh, it's like uh, asio sherry. It's like when Harry Potter realizes oh, sherry. Harry Potter. Don't you worry about it, big pal. I know it's Harry Potter. Asio, this glass of whiskey that I have in my head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear listeners. So I am joined. Every time, and as always, by my good friend, Mr. Jason Johnston Young. And this time, because we can be uh, globetrotters when we want to be, uh, I am joined by Jason Johnston Young in Jerez, Spain. We are. It's fantastic. The home of flamenco and uh, many, many bodegas, Mm -hmm. which we may have explored uh, over the last couple of days. And for our New York, our New Yorker listeners, uh, bodegas in Spain has nothing to do with uh, the little convenience stores that, that you go to uh, in New York, which are also known as bodegas. There you go. That's why I didn't see any New Yorkers today hiding behind those barrels. Did I ever tell you about the first time I used the word bodegas in New York, not knowing what a bodega was in New York? Hmm. So I was doing a kill home and tasting. I was at the Caledonia Club uh, or Caledonia Bar. There's one east and west. This was the east one. And I'm talking to people about kill home and Loch Gorm. Lovely. And mentioning to people that kill sources their sherry casks from the same bodegas that Glenn Ferkless sources their sherry casks from. And everybody started laughing and laughing and laughing at me. And I'm thinking, are these really smart whiskey drinkers that know where stuff comes from? And I'm, am I speaking out of school? And uh, it wasn't until afterwards when I got to speaking with people that they told me what a bodega was <laughs> in, in New York. <laughs> and so far you haven't told anybody here in the Spanish bodegas what it means in New York. I didn't. You think they would burst out laughing? <laughs> Corner store. Hilarious. I think they probably would. See, that doesn't make sense. Is that where you get your toilet paper? Hilarious. <laughs> but you know what? There's differences between Spanish and Spain and Spanish and Mexico or Puerto Rico. And maybe in Mexican Spanish, bodega means something other than bodegas in Spain. So you hinted a moment ago yes. that there was something in your glass. I did hint. And given that you and I are together and I can see your glass in front of you, I can see that it's very dark. It is. And you thought, mm-hmm. I won't say long and hard. Oh, hey now. But you certainly thought. Oh, thinking. Thinking, yes. That you would uh, bring something that would be apropos. Apropos, yes. For, for Jerez, Spain. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And on, on one hand, you were thinking, what if we're going to be drinking all this sherry, exploring all this sherry? Mm-hmm. Maybe we should bring some American oak, ex-bourbon matured scotch whiskey mm-hmm. to, to have as a point counterpoint. Yeah. 
And then you thought a little farther. A little farther, a little harder. Uh, a little longer. Mm-hmm. And a little wider. You decided, I will in fact bring something dark and sharied. Mm. <laughs> and hey man, if this isn't dark. And being the man of the people that you are, Ooh. yeah, you decided to bring something that is bottle one of one. Yes. So that we could tell our listeners about it and they would never have the opportunity to experience it. I'll tell you. Man of the people. And this is, this is not a brag at all. But I have a lot of bottles one of one. How's that anything but a brag? <laughs> not even a hashtag humble brag. That's hashtag brag. So what I brought was a bottling that you can get from the Caddenheads Warehouse if you go to Campbelltown. You go to Campbelltown, you go to the Caddenheads Warehouse, which is just across the street and a little bit down the road from the Springbank Distillery, and they have the cage. So you mean the Caddenheads shop, not the Caddenheads Warehouse? Did I, did I say warehouse? Yeah, I did. I meant the Caddenheads... Oh, you have me saying Caddenheads now. I meant the Caddenheads shop and uh-huh. not the warehouse. And you go to the cage, and if you're lucky, they've got a fair few bottles in there that are all, you know, bottle one of one. They basically call them cask, you know, duty-paid cask samples. They do. And last time I was there, which was in August, sadly not with you, but for with our distributor in New York, and they had a few bottles, and I, and I grabbed a couple, and this one in particular was just dark as dark could be. Uh, actually not the darkest one in there. I did grab the darkest one in there as well. That was a hazel burn. But this one is a 14-year-old uh, spring bank. So you got a little bit of peat going on. Hashtag man of the people. <laughs> you got a little bit of peat going on. But boy, if there isn't a fuck ton of sherry on this whiskey. And that is the official industry measurement. Fuck ton. Fuck ton. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. It's... I would say it's even more than licking a stick. I think it's deep throating a burnt branch. <laughs> I was expecting you to say something a little less controversial to then, you know, then I would then follow up, not controversial, but a little less dirty. Right. And then I was going to follow up with the dirty version. Oh. But you came straight out with the dirty That's version. Right. It's two days of being around Joshua Han. I've said this <laughs> on previous podcasts. It changes me as a person. You're welcome. I go straight to the Joshua Hatton line instead of going with the Jason Johnson Yellen line All, first. Always to the Joshua line with you. It doesn't even mean anything. <laughs> so we were talking, we interviewed somebody today. Yes. Yep. And he was a lovely, lovely, lovely chap, gentleman, Spaniard. Hold on. Before you talk about who we interviewed, let me just say this. For the people who have been listening to us since day one, or people who have been Can't listening help. <laughs> to us for a while and enjoyed the whiskey conversation, Uh, And also for the people who are listening to us for the first time, uh, I want to let you know that what we're about to talk, what we're about to talk about, that that sentence just doesn't sound right. Was that an ACDC album? What we're about to talk about. We salute you. Uh, We're about to talk about (laughs) Sherry. 
Today's episode is dedicated not to whiskey, though we will definitely be making many connections to because... And, and I think that's the important thing. Yeah. We've certainly had episodes where we've gone outside of the whiskey world, mm-hmm. but there remain the whiskey connections. Yes. And for those who know their, their whiskey, like our listeners, yeah. Sherry plays an integral part in the world of whiskey. Oh, yeah. Just as there really would not be a scotch whiskey industry without independent bottlers, you know, that's how the industry started, there really wouldn't be scotch whiskey as we know it without, you don't have to give me that much, good gosh, wow. There really wouldn't be a scotch whiskey industry. That's what we call a hat in port. (laughs) If there weren't a sherry industry, which, you know, we'll we'll talk about uh, a little bit later and and to how, sadly, the sherry industry is is on this continual downward spiral because fewer and fewer people are drinking sherry. Which is interesting to me because I think Mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of things, Mm -hmm. I think those large mass numbers may be coming down, but that's also true of large mass beer. That's true of large mass whiskey where some of the larger global blends didn't hit their growth numbers for for 2017. Okay. Um, But I think... 2017 or 2018? 2017, they haven't released the 2018 numbers yet. And so as you see this downturn in the larger mass-produced version uh, from a particular category, Mm -hmm. I think there's a groundswell of, of oftentimes younger consumers Mm -hmm. who are looking to get into that world. And they're saying, I don't want the mass-produced version of it. Mm -hmm. I want the craft version, the artisanal version, the version that nobody knows anything about. Mm -hmm. And and not to jump too far ahead in what we're working on today, but I had an experience this afternoon at a bodega, Tradition. Yeah, Bodegas Tradition. Actually, Tradition. Uh, that's that's too much. That's, that's too much. Too much. And and they poured a cream sherry, mm. and and I made the comment: this is nothing like my grandmother's cream sherry, and and to find out that a cream sherry has nothing to do with cream, nothing at all. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know, it, it's what's the? It's it's a, it's a blend. Yeah, what's the? Uh, Bailey's. It's not yeah. the Bailey's of sherry. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. And. And I, I always thought cream sherry, seriously, you thought it was had, cream? had a cream component so you'd to never, it. You'd never had right? cream sherry? I'd had cream sherries, but they were garbage. I never paid any attention to them, right? Okay. You just figure, oh, it's called a cream sherry. I'm tasting it. I'm not getting much cream, but I'm also not getting much anything else. And to learn today that it's a blend of Oloroso and Pedro Jimenez sherry. Mm-hmm. And to think as a whiskey guy, shit, Oloroso is one of those sherries I know about from whiskey maturation. Yeah. Pedro Jimenez is one of those sherries I know about from whiskey <laughs> yeah, maturation. Exactly, right. And all you've done is bring the two of them together and then any bodega can have its own percentage of mm. one or the other yeah. going into that cream sherry, which has nothing to do with cream. Did I mention that? Yeah, and, and she and she pointed that out too. Oh, she had said, she said, it's a terrible term. It has nothing to do with what's in your glass, but... That's the term, and, and that's the term we have to use, and that's the term we will in fact use. But she said something I, I found quite interesting, 
and you'd said it before, this is not the cream sherry that my, that my grandmother would drink. And she'd said that there's a, a movement within the sherry producers, within the various bodegas, where they want to lift up the category of cream sherry, which was the most popular style of sherry. Mm-hmm. And they want to lift it up by way of using better component parts. So you have Bodegas Tradition who's saying, okay, well, here's our 20-year-old cream sherry. Yeah, average so, age of 20. Yeah. Right, so they're using really good Oloroso, yeah. really good Pedro Jimenez, and you get good blending going together, right? We, we've Absolutely. always said it. Blend, blends are great. There's an art to blending, and blendings are artists, and that would go for anything. And that cream sherry that we had, it was fantastic. But that's really where I think you can get that younger consumer who comes in and says, okay, the sherry category is dying. Mm-hmm. However, what's good here? Yeah. What, what can I put my weight and my support behind? And I think if you're a young consumer and you, you'll meet a cracking cream sherry, you completely forget about what your grandmother was pouring into her little tiny sherry, you know, you know, not even a copita for us in, in Scotland in the UK. It was, I don't even know the name of it, but it was kind of a conical glass, really small. Mm-hmm. And it, that's what grandmothers would just sit and sip away. And yeah. It was, just wasn't particularly good sherry. And it probably stayed in the cupboard for you know, a year at a time. It would probably be pulled out and poured oh. for your, your granny yeah, exactly. at Christmas. Right. Oh, that's Granny Sherry. Poor Granny a Sherry. Yep. Get the Sherry. She'll bring out the ribbon candy. Right. Um, it goes back in the cabinet <laughs> until next Christmas. So. Uh, but you know, I'll tell you, I've I've been drinking Sherry for years, and, and my wife as well. And even the the sort of not so great cream Sherries are, if you want just sort of a sweet, almost dessert wine, aperitif, not aperitif. What's the uh, digestive? Digestive. Perfectly quaffable. Is it something you're going to write home to mom about? No. Are you going to have a a fine little drink in your glass? Yes. The cream sherry we had today at Bodegas Tradicion, that's something you write home to mom about. That's something you, if your grandmother's still alive, you say, Granny, you should have been drinking this the whole time. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be looking for that once we get back to the U.S. I didn't pick up a bottle today, but it's definitely on my list of to-dos mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, once I'm back in the U.S. Okay, so now that we've got all of that out the way and we have told people that this is going to be a Sherry-focused episode, mm-hmm. Sherry-focused and also you know, discussing the connections of Sherry to whiskey, talk to me about who we, who we spent four hours with. We had the pleasure of spending all that time with Juan Mateos, at Lustau, L-U-S-T-A-U, Lustau. And he's the PR guy, mm-hmm. Spanish fella, mm-hmm. uh, great, great history in Sherry and great standing in Sherry, passionate about the category, as we'll hear uh, over the course of, of this episode and this interview. Mm-hmm. But a bit like you and I with whiskey, he was really happy to have a couple of guys in front of him who were just looking to learn just yeah, yeah, you yeah, can yeah. you can say anything to us you can present anything you can pour anything and we will absolutely absorb mm-hmm. what you are doing mm-hmm. uh, we were in Hareth proper yeah and another one of those places where 
you make a quick turn, you go down a little alley, you make another quick turn, you go down another little alley, you're still on site. <laughs> mm-hmm. You have no idea where you are. But there's another warehouse, seller, as they are here, and you just thousands of casks in front of you. Turn another thousands, corner, there's yes. thousands more casks. Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal, really immersive experience. Mm-hmm. And we're here in January. The temperature, the high yesterday and today was 16 centigrade. So that's 61 Fahrenheit. Good work. And the perfect blue sky and and bright, warm sun. And as soon as you move into the shadows or as soon as you move into a a warehouse, it drops. Drops Uh, good 10 degrees. (laughs) uh, It's... It was... well. so, So Juan said today that you go from 16 to 12... Uh, centigrade. So you go from low 60s to low 50s. And I'm with you. It felt much colder. It feels colder than that. Well, I think part of that is the humidity, right? That's what he was saying today, yes. Um, Yes. Yeah, so you you had mentioned Juan has, uh, you know, quite a passion, quite a history. He comes from a sherry background, his his father. That That was his father's work and passion was exactly. was in sherry and he's you know one of six six brothers and sisters and he's the only one within the family that's carrying on that sherry tradition yep exactly which is which is very cool i also love the fact that he, he brought up his dad a few times during our visit and each time you could just tell the pride that he had. Yeah. Oh, yeah. First of all, in his father, the work that his father has done in Sherry, mm-hmm. but also the fact that he is carrying on yeah. a Sherry tradition. It's, it's not a yeah. connected bodega. It's not like he's still running the family business. Yeah. It's he's with a Sherry producer. And and it's his passion, you know. And and this is something that, that I'll, I'll tell the listeners here and now. We don't have a lot of audio from him. To, to be honest, our meeting with him wasn't with the intention of sitting down for a podcast. This was yeah. for us to learn, to gain knowledge. And there were a few bits and bobs where we did record, and we'll get all of that audio in there. But it was towards the end of our conversation where we're talking about the things that we drink. And he it basically said... I don't drink any wine other than sherry. <laughs> it's true. And, and, I, and I had said, and he corrected, I love the way he corrected me on this. I said, well, I don't drink any wine. <laughs> I only drink sherry. And he said, ah, but sherry is wine. And I said, you're right. I don't drink wine. I only drink sherry wine. And he said, yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's, I, I think it's so important for him to say that because People put sherry in a category in and of itself Mm. to say this is something other. This is something we drink in small amounts. This is something we drink for special occasions. This is something that we only have after dinner. And the point that he kept on pressing, the point that um, the woman from uh, Bodegas Tradicion had pointed out, she said, no, both of them said, no, this is wine. You want to drink it? Break out a good white wine or red wine glass and fill it like you would a normal glass. Maybe a little less because it is a higher alcohol content. Yeah, you're not pouring you're it not, like yeah. a red wine or a white wine. No, you're going to have... You're not but you gonna, are going to use that glass. You're going to use that glass and you're going to have it with your dinner 
whether it's lunch, whether it's dinner, whether it's whatever with dessert, drink it as if it were wine because that's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's a wine. Well, and, and in both places they talked about the pairing of food. Yeah. yeah, you yeah. Know, and, and we were eating cheese today, uh, Manchego cheese. Mm-hmm. We were having cashew nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was ham available. We obviously passed on that. There was tuna available. This is mm-hmm. a, a tuna region, mm-hmm. uh, which you and I didn't know coming into this, but we learned that today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was tuna on the table. There were, yeah, there were, there were a lot of things that I'm sure a lot of our, of our listeners have around them or oh, that, yeah. that they enjoy. But just to hear... Uh, both Juan and Ulrike was Ulrike, the, that the was woman at Tradicion. Yeah. Uh, to hear the way they kept coming back to this goes with this food, yeah. this goes with this food, or this goes with these foods. Which is exactly what you hear if you do a wine tasting, exactly. you go to a winer, winery or vineyard, you know, they're going to talk about, you know, have this with a mushroom dish, have this with a meat dish, have this with fish, have this with cheese. And the language is the same. Yep. So yeah, so that that was really good to hear. And my hope after visiting this is, you know, this is how I will start talking about sherry to be to people. And to be honest, this is how I drink. If I'm going to drink wine, it's sherry, and I pour it as if it's a glass of wine, and I drink it slowly and with food. And yeah. So I was thinking, Joshua, yeah, that one of the baselines for us in this podcast, yeah. I think, would be useful for the listener yeah. is we in speaking with Juan today recorded him talking about yeah. the names the, the names being so simple yeah. and one of the things that I've really taken away from this visit is clearly I'm familiar with Oloroso and Pedro Jimenez mm-hmm. from wine maturation yeah. but having Fino put in position. Uh, Amonti- from Amontillado. Yeah, what did I say? You said from wine maturation. Oh, well, they're all wines, Joshua. We learned that today. You meant whiskey maturation, but yeah. you said wine maturation. Because sherries are wines. I, I know, but you. <laughs> I'm not going to dig my way out of this. You're not going to dig it. <laughs> <laughs> so you know Oloroso and Pedro Jimenez from whiskey maturation. Whiskey maturation. As I said, and <laughs> and so the way that he was able to talk about finos, amontillados, uh-huh. um, uh, palo cartados, mm-hmm. right? The way he talked about them today, and the way that he broke down those names for us, yes, being super simple, super simple, was incredibly useful for me, and and my hope would be it'd be incredibly useful for the audience as well. Yeah. So should we should we make the first time we use? Juan's voice, this delivery. I have it at the ready, Jason. Jerez, always when, because was um, wine who is a very, very um, old, it's a, it's a, it's a um, very old wine who was created many, many, many years ago. Not old because it's very old in time of barrel. No, many, very old because it was created many, many, many years ago. Okay, and Jerez was a wine who was made for travel. Okay, uh, with a fortification of with alcohol from wine, and to keep the wine longer time in barrels and during the process. Okay, and the uh, the people from Jerez want to. Um, they were very simple, uh, and they use very simple simple vocabulary for for to explain the different wines. And it's very curiously, but after we. 
when we play in the wines, sometimes we complicate too much the things mm -hmm. that at the end, my opinion is that the people need to try and not to be scary mm -hmm. to try a wine and to don't know about Amontillado or Palo Cortado or Oloroso or Fino or Manzanilla. Yeah. Okay? Try and you decide and you have in your mind which you like or which, you, uh, or what, which wine do you don't like it. Okay? And in the case, for example, of the, of the vocabulary of Jerez, they try to be very, very simple. Okay? For example, a light and dry wine, very light and fine, is called fino. Okay? Mm -hmm. Fino. Um, a wine that in the, uh, with the yeast is, down the, uh, is in San Lucar and the influence, uh, remember, chamomile, chamomile in Spanish is manzanilla. They call manzanilla, mm -hmm. okay? A wine uh, who is more close in the aging to a wine from Montilla Moriles in Córdoba, that they produce generous wine too. And it's a wine who changed uh, because in Montilla is more internal part, is Córdoba, and they have not the best conditions that in Jerez, uh, and the yeast is more complicated. They, sometimes they have old finos there, All fino, fino oxidation with oxidation is, um, is amontillado, okay? And came from Montilla, Montilla, amontillado. Yeah. And a wine with high level of, uh, of smell, with high level of aromas, mm. top, uh, since the beginning aging without yeast in contact with the air, is called oloroso. To smell in Spanish is oler. And for that reason came Oloroso. Fantastic. Okay? It's amazing. Yeah. And a Moscatel, 100% Moscatel wine is called Moscatel. Pedro Jiménez with Pedro Jiménez, sweet wine. Grape, Pedro Jiménez. Cream, some wine who is more easy and is a blend between Oloroso and Pedro Jiménez is called cream. Huh. And, and what should we buy for our lovers wine? <laughs> what what is what I for our amor? Ah, yeah. <laughs> they have another that now is not they know is used, but it's very very old fashioned name. It's called amoroso. Okay, when you want to conquest your girl, and sometimes the women prefer sweet wines, you prepare an oloroso with uh, Pedro Jiménez, and it's called amoroso. Now that you've laid a baseline down, right? Uh, talking about having Juan there talk about the names and, and where they came from and, and really how simplistic they are. I thought, especially for those that really don't drink sherry, or maybe they drink sherry, and they, but they don't really know a lot about it. Mm -hmm. I thought it'd be good to give a little bit of Sherry 101 here, uh, a little bit of, of how the sausage is made. Uh, <laughs> Which is one of those words we had with Juan today, Yeah, that the Spanish mouth does not want to get around the yeah, word. Yeah, and he was saying that word. Sausage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or as my daughters like to say, sausage. <laughs> Um, Are your daughter Sylvester the cat? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so 
you, you have your different sherry types, right? You, you've got your Fino and your Manzanilla, which are really a type in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Amontillado, Palo Cortado, Oloroso, uh, Amoroso, right? Yes, sir, um, for your lover. Yeah, for your lover. And then Pedro Jimenez. And those are your, your basic styles. There are some others, like Cream Sherry you mentioned. There are some vintages, right, that, that you may remember Juan poured for us. But, you know, those are your basic styles. And, and so here's what I would say. You've got Fino, Manzanilla, Amateado, and Palo Cortado. And all of those start the same way. So basically what they're doing is all, all, all of these are using a grape called uh, Palomino Fino grape. Yes, sir. Which is interesting, right? Because you've got four very different tasting sherries using the same grape, which I think is pretty impressive. And so let's take Fino and Manzanilla. So Fino and Manzanilla, they take, they take the grape, they ferment it, they put it into cask, but they put it into cask, leaving about a tenth mm-hmm. of the space left in the cask. And you say, well, why would you do that? Don't you want to get the biggest bang for your buck for the cask maturation going on? And the thing is, they're, they're, when it comes to the Fino and the Manzanilla, they're not using the cask for cask influence. In fact, what gives the cask influence to really anything is going to be the oxygen that's inside it. You need, there needs to be oxygen to, to make that chemical reaction work. Mm-hmm. And so in the casks with the phenone, with the manzanilla, and the reason why they only fill it about 90% is natural yeast comes along with it. And that yeast is called flor, F-L-O-R. And beneath the yeast is that wine maturing and changing flavor because of the yeast. The yeast is actually maturing it. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they keep that to 12, 13, 14, 15% alcohol, right? You don't want to go over 15%. And if you want just a full straight up Fino, you can put it into cask for a few years, keep it under that that yeast, that blanket of yeast that's called floor, and then you bottle it. And, and so that's your, that's your Fino, right? And that's coming from Hereth. And your Manzanilla is the same grape, produced the same way, but it's coming from a different area of Spain. Because it's a different area of Spain, different humidity levels, different types of yeast, mm-hmm. you're getting a different flavor wine. And Juan had touched on it before when he talked about you know, where the word manzanilla came from, right? Exactly. Right? So there's your manzanilla. Now, let's say you want to create an amontillado. What you do is you take your fino wine or manzanilla, you take that wine and you put alcohol in there. That's the fortification. They're fortifying the sherry with more alcohol. And this is alcohol that comes from the grapes themselves. They take some of the residual stuff that they, uh, from the winemaking process, distill it to a grain, not to a grain neutral alcohol, but to a neutral alcohol, and they bring the ABV up to over 15%. Maybe you're at 16%, maybe you're at 17%. And once that alcohol is introduced, 
the floor is killed. The yeast cannot survive in the higher alcohol environment. So once the yeast or floor is gone, now the oxygen touches the wine. Now the chemical reactions, the oxidation kicks in. Then the color starts coming in from the cask, right? Yeah, it was interesting to hear them call the version with yeast contained within as the biological. Yeah. And once the alcohol is increased and the yeast dissipates, that one is the oxidation. Yeah, the fortified. And yeah. so you, you keep hearing these two, yeah. the, the biological and the oxidized. Yeah, 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 exactly. Then you, you let that age for X number of years. And in the case of Lestau, which we'll have Juan talk about in a little bit, because he's going to, we've recorded him explaining, you know, basically how to read the, a label. Mm-hmm. A lot of information uh, right? on it. You know, he talks about how their Amontillado, their standard Amontillado is five years as a fino in cask. And then at the fifth year, they introduce the, the alcohol in there, which kills off the floor. And now it becomes an oxidized, the oxidizing happens. Mm-hmm. And then they let it age for another seven years as an Amontillado. So in the end, it be, it's around 12 years old, give or take, right? There's always going to be variation. Uh, and in a bodega system, there's you know going to be v- variation and 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 all sorts of blending going on, but that's how they create the amontillado. Now comes the case of Palo Cortado, and Palo Cortado is sort of a a version of amontillado where they just increase the alcohol a little bit, not by much, maybe by a percentage point. And what happens is you get an Oloroso-like nose, a much more bigger present nose, but an Amontillado-like palate. So it becomes this bridge between Amontillado and Oloroso, and this is called Palo Cortado. And for people who enjoy sherries or enjoy, you know, other styles of wine, it's, it's, one of those types of wines that's kind of the best of both worlds, right? Where if you like that slightly lighter palate, but you want that bigger presence on the nose, you know, Palo Cortado is the way to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, and through process, not through blending. Correct, correct, correct. Uh, and then you've got Oloroso. Now, Oloroso does not start off as a fino. That is oxidized from day one. And that is why... Olorosas tend to be much darker in color and you've got the big nose and you've got the big flavor and that's because it's taking all that influence from the wood. And so that's that's your Oloroso. So you, we're sort of kind of like in a whiskey tasting, right? Where you're you're tasting people first through the lighter whiskey and then you go a little heavier and then you know and then finally to the peat and and that's and that's where we're that's where we're headed. So fino, manzanilla, light, floral, delicate, pretty. A drying, of course. Uh, Amontillado, now you're getting a bit nuttier, a bit richer. Palo Cortado's getting a bit bigger. And then Oloroso, really big, big sherry, but dry as well. And that's what I was going to add. The, the dryness that you yeah. get with an Oloroso is is unexpected from the sweetness. Yeah. Right? Yep. There, there can yep. be a nice sweet nose to it, not as sweet as a mm-hmm. Pedro Jimenez. But a sweet nose that leads into this drying palate. Yeah. And certainly the one we had today at Tradition, 
that was an Oloroso that was very peppery. Oh, yeah. On yeah. the palate. Yeah. And very welcome with some of the bigger without sweet without notes without on the nose. And then the last last that I'd like to say in this sort of sherry 101 is you've got the the two other major styles of of sherry. Now we talked about cream already, so I'm not gonna I'm not going to go there. But you've got Muscatel sherry and you've got Pedro Jimenez sherry. Now these, unlike the others, are made with different grapes. Mm-hmm. The others I mentioned are all uh, Palomino Fino grapes, and the Muscatel is made with, you guessed it, Muscatel grape. And the Pedro Jimenez is made with the Pedro Jimenez grape. Uh, Muscatel is a very sweet, light yet sweet dessert-like wine. I'd almost compare that to like a like a like an ice wine. Uh, or that's a, exactly right? what I've been thinking about the last two days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the ice wine, different process, obviously. Yeah, but yeah, that concentrated sugar. Yeah, exactly. That then goes into production. Exactly, is present. What did we hear today? The Pedro Jimenez at yeah. Tradición mm-hmm. was 455 grams of sugar yeah. per liter per liter of Pedro Jimenez, and yeah. that is not artificially added yeah. sugar. That is the sugar reading from these sun-dried the yeah. Pedro Jimenez grapes good, good, good. that were almost as dark as raisins yeah. when they juiced them. And these are... These are white grapes. So all of these grapes are white. And if you've ever seen Pedro Jimenez wine, you put that in your glass and it's molasses. It's dark. It's thick. It's heavy. There are no additives. That's au natural. That Pedro Jimenez that got poured today at Tradicion could have been a balsamic vinegar going into my glass. The way it coated. And thickness-wise. The way it kind of browned the glass. Any glass that it came in contact with made it look like I was using a smoked glass. Almost almost like a slightly reduced. Uh, Absolutely, yes. (laughs) Absolutely. I was amazed looking at it. And I love, love, love balsamic vinegar. But it was this big unctuous, sweet, juicy, dark yeah. Pedro yep. Jimenez. Yeah, a little of that goes a long way and that would have been, you know, Enrique um, at Tradición was saying, if you ever have the opportunity, pour this 30-year-old Pedro Jimenez <laughs> over vanilla ice cream. Yeah. Like, that's the way to enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's... Right. I like your taste, lady. Yes, please, and thank you. <laughs> right, so so there you go. So so those are your major styles of, of sharing. That's your 101 as to sort of how they're made. Obviously, the process is much more involved in that. And there's a whole bodega system where you are... Not bodega system. A whole Solera system where you are marrying casks, marrying younger stuff with older stuff. And when that marriage of older and younger stuff gets older, you put that in bottle and then you put younger stuff with that other stuff that was, you know, there's a whole system. And uh, I don't think we need to go there. I think what we need to do, however, is go to that clip where, where, and and this is why I asked Juan to do this, is we recorded him discussing basically how to read 
one of the Lestau Sherry labels. Yeah, it was it was great information, right? And and he went on to talk a, a little more after that as well. And we talked about where some of the flavors exactly. Are yeah, from I think and, keeping in that little flavor note. Yeah, uh, from Juan will be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, good. So here he is. We are uh, with a, a special range of Lestau. Mm-hmm. It's the Almazanista. Okay. We uh, select for that small stock keeper from Jerez del Puerto and San Lucar, a mm-hmm. uh, very, very short production that they have it. And we embottle with the um, uh, Lustau Almacenista range, okay, okay. stock keeper range. You can find the information about the Almacenista, in that case is Jose Luis uh, Gonzalez Obregón, is Amontillado from El Puerto de Santa Maria, okay. and only is available in that winery 10 casks of that wine. Okay. okay? Um, the percent of alcohol is 18 uh, 0.5, and uh, the time uh, average mm-hmm. of that wine is five years down the yeast, mm-hmm. okay, with the biological process, uh, with the flour, mm-hmm. okay, with flour, la flor del vino, and uh, after seven years in oxidation, okay, okay in contact with the air, okay, okay. Well, uh, the temperature of service of that wine uh, is about uh, 12 Celsius degrees, mm-hmm. okay, good temperature for serving. And um, I love to talk uh, to that wine that it's a, it's, um, it's a sherry, mm-hmm. uh, it's two sherries in one. Mm-hmm. Because uh, the Amontillado is a wine that before was um, been five years uh, down the yeast, mm-hmm. like a fino, in that case from El Puerto Santa Maria, mm-hmm. influenced by the, the river and the sea salt of El Puerto Santa Maria. Right. And then, um, we uh, then the the, the novice of the of the winery fortified mm-hmm. uh, with alcohol from wine and change the um, agent down the yeast to the oxidative uh, agent. Okay. So, so okay. So just so I have the best understanding, for the first five years you, you're creating a fino. Yep. And the fino wine is underneath the the, the floor, the, the flower, the that layer that, that of yeast. At that time, there's no fortification of the wine. There's no extra alcohol put in, correct? Exactly. Once you put the alcohol in, it's then after what five years. After five years. After five years. Yeah. When, when then receive the wine, the wine of the year, remember that in Jerez, from Palomino Fino, mm-hmm. in harvest time, we came about 12, 13% of alcohol for the, for the, the sealed wine, the wine yeah. of the year, Palomino yeah. Fino. Okay. And then fortifying in 50 till 15, three degrees more, okay? Okay. Stabilize in 15, and the wine start in, um, in the uh, system of uh, down the yeast, mm-hmm. okay? In the Soledad and Queda system, down the yeast. Okay. And after five years, uh, then what they do is to fortify mm-hmm. with 18% of alcohol, still 18, mm-hmm. and the yeast cannot leave with more than 15% okay. of alcohol. That okay. is the reason, because the wine starts in oxidative right. process. And then it's the, the oxidation within the cask. That's, that's when the color starts coming through because exactly. this is now a nice, rich exactly. color where Fino is always very pale. Yes, it's very pale, and that is the reason because after seven years yeah. that they have in, in contact with the air, yeah. and obviously in very old wood, mm-hmm. okay, very old barrels with about 80 something, something 100 years, wow. okay, then give the, the real importance okay. of, uh, of okay. the wine. Okay. Could you just quickly talk to me 
about the flavors you enjoy coming from this sherry? Yeah, of course. Uh, I find at the at the beginning very freshness, mm. okay, but when you uh, drink it and pass your your mouth, it's almonds, yeah, quite bitter, mm -hmm. but very elegant, not mm -hmm. not strong. We are talking about a wine with 18.5% mm -hmm. of alcohol and with an average of 12 years, okay? Right. But it's very elegant. Freshness at the beginning, mm. remember of the yeasty season during five years. Yeah. And then the, the woody, woody taste, mm -hmm. and almonds and mm -hmm. nuts that came yeah. from a yeah. longer time in contact with the oxidation. Good, good. Thank you. And obviously, uh, I, don't, I, want, I don't want to forget that, it's very important. My recommendation for serve uh, the sherry um, must be in a big glass, okay? For uh, enjoy okay. a completely total essence, big glass, okay? Like a white wine glass is wonderful, yes. yeah. not a small copita. A small copita mm. is not good for sherry. Why is that? The best wine must be served in the best glasses. Okay. Yes. Huh? Yeah. And that, I think, is a good answer. Perfect. <laughs> Salud. So we'll return to Juan a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, we managed to record him for a misconception. <laughs> and that's about it, right? These two clips and that misconception. Well, we also have something that we're going to put on the One Nation Under Whiskey Facebook page. Aha. Uh -huh. Where yes. he was talking about the symbols mm. that are used around the bodegas. And I think that is that was fascinating information. Yeah. I'd never yeah. seen that in my cream puff. Yeah, but it doesn't do well as audio. It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> it will. It will be for the best. Yeah, uh, on video. But that gives us a little something to put on the the Facebook page yeah. to connect ourselves uh, with this episode. Good. 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 So that'll be very nice. Yeah. Um, one thing I I wanted to add in, and this was just pure happenstance. But first of all, when we were at Lestau this morning, Juan was mentioning we're actually in today's New York Times. Oh, yeah. Uh, where they are one of... Wait, we are? We're in the New York Times? Uh, we've been in the New York Times, Joshua. It's time for other people to be in the New York Times. Oh, right. Okay, so Juan was talking about Lestau being... Lestau was yeah. mentioned by the New York Times <laughs> yeah. as a place to visit. Amazing. Yeah. Which we certainly echo. Oh, my gosh. It, yes. On. And so it was wonderful to hear that news, and we congratulated on him on that. He then asked, oh, "And where, where else are you going today?" And we said, "Tradition." He said, "They were also named as a place to visit in today's <laughs> New York Times." Yeah. And so, um, well, I've seen the posting. We've asked Juan to forward us the link. We can find it if he doesn't. But we'll also post that link on the Facebook page as well. Yeah. Uh, for One Nation Under Whiskey and and any listeners who are interested in, in learning more about the region and places seen the region, Perfect. any listeners who are now also thinking about a trip to Hareth, yeah, uh, we certainly highly recommend it. And there's more than just Hareth to see. Uh, we're not sponsored by the Hareth Tourist Board. Nope. But there is a Sherry Triangle. Because Porto mm -hmm. is mentioned. Oh. And yeah. Hareth. Mm -hmm. And there's one more. Uh, I want to say Candida, but those are little worms in your stomach that make you want sugar. <laughs> um, what? 
<laughs> I have to do business with this person. <laughs> Can you people imagine this? <laughs> this is the type of shit I hear on a daily uh, basis. It, 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 Sorry, I was just having an aside there, Joshua. <laughs> just an aside with the, with the audience. So I wasn't wasn't speaking to you. Just speaking about you. Yeah, there's a there's a third place. I, I thought that's the yeah. It's it started with a C. No, it, I don't think it did. It's the one that sounds like. Remember, they said this sherry tastes like the sherry from this region. It's one of the finos, Manzanilla. Yeah. Well, you know, that's us. That's us forgetting things and uh, not redoing our homework before recording. Are we recording now? <laughs> yeah, we've been recording for forty-seven minutes. Now. I thought this was our production meeting. <laughs> We're not going to go back and start this again, do a nice tight 35 minutes. <laughs> wow. Wow. Two years you've got me with this. Every time I Every keep time. thinking. Like, I'm going to get him again. Jason, let's record our production meeting. <laughs> <laughs> I always wonder why we never do the tight 35 minutes afterwards. <sighs> I just assume you edit these down to a tight 35 minutes. I'm surprised you can you can get it to 35 minutes. I'm... Oof. It's much quicker than that. In my meetings. Do we record it twice? <laughs> I fall asleep after I record it the first time. <laughs> Are we still talking about a podcast? Are we still recording? <laughs> right? So, okay. So, yes, sir. Uh, so uh, the three places to, to visit is what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, I got two of them. Okay. That's, that's good. Moving on. That's... that's Two-thirds. Thank you. You're very, that, this is why we do business. There were two slash three things that I... You could just say there were three things and then name two of them and then we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> it's apparently how we do business now. There were a few things <laughs> that I came to Spain not knowing. Or there's one one thing that I came to Spain not knowing. I can't... I can't imagine you came to Spain not knowing something. And one of the things blew my mind. The other thing that I want to mention in a little bit is one thing just really surprised me. And so before I mention mine, I'm curious if there was anything. I thought I was going to get all of your segment to think no. about mine. No, I want to get people, ex I'm teasing people with mine, get them real excited about mine then they can fast forward through yours <laughs> and, and then listen to mine. I'm going to tell you, as, as a Scotsman who travels the world talking about whiskey and yeah. being incredibly proud of what the Scots have done, and I understand there's more than just Scotch whiskey in the world, and much of it is very good. Mm -hmm. But I'm Scottish, yeah. and that's where my pride lies. Mm -hmm. In speaking to Juan today, yeah. listening to the pride that he takes mm -hmm. in this region, the history within this region, yeah. and the, the product, the artistry of Sherry, mm -hmm. I totally got his vibe. Like I was totally on the yeah. same yeah. page as him. Yeah. And I think it's pretty obvious on one level, when you think about Hareth, the story tradition that they have here with Sherry, it seems pretty obvious that they would be proud of it. But it's also very easy when it's happening on your doorstep yeah. to somewhat overlook it. Mm -hmm. And in hearing about the death of Sherry, and, and I've 
in the time that I've been drinking whiskey, yeah. I've been listening uh, uh, about the death of sherry. Yeah. And so to actually be in this sherry region, if somebody didn't tell me the sherry category was dying, I would think it was alive and well and strong and yeah. proud and making great steps forward. And so take away for me something that, again, really kind of jived with me, really, really resonated with me, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is fighting that good fight, yeah. right? Doing my bit mm -hmm. in the United States to talk more about the sherry as it pertains to the maturation of whiskey. Yeah. Yep. Talking about this region, the people who are working on this uh, product and the pride that exists mm. around it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that that's, I think, partly why we do these types of visits. This is why we want to meet producers. Mm. Uh, we want to see... What does this look like in a day-to-day -day running for you? Mm. What's important to you? How are you fighting for this? And why we do so many collaborations? It's because we make good connections with people. Yeah. And we walk out of that connection saying, I'm a member of your team now. I'm going to fight for this elsewhere yeah. uh, in my conversations, my tastings, things like that. And so, yeah, I, I love walking away uh, with that understanding yeah. of yeah. the region and the people. That's great. Now, talking to the... the and since they all fast-forwarded through that, oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, go for it, Joshua. Let's see what you say. When I think of Sherry, there, there are big names that come to mind immediately. Four in particular that, 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 that... Actually, I'm sorry, three in particular that come to mind. And that would be Gonzalez Baez. It would be uh, Valdespino. And then the first one that would come to mind would be Lestau. I thought coming here that Gonzalez Baez was a sherry. Oh, really? That it was a category oh, see of that? sherry. Yeah, see that? Um, and so the Jura uh, 200th anniversary bottling that I liked so much yeah. that was Gonzalez Baez maturation. Yeah. I thought that Their was, casks, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it was that was the type of sherry that yeah. had been matured yeah. in. So... Yeah. It's very easy to be led one way with one's assumptions. Mm. And so seeing Gonzalo Baez as a producer was a little surprising to me on this Well, and, and I think this is one of the, the reasons why, Juan, talking to people on how to read a label, yes. a sherry label, is so important. Yes. So you have a better understanding that, okay, this is the producer, this is the category, this may be where the grapes came from, you know, so on and so, so forth. Like us wanting to put as much information on our labels as possible, mm -hmm. there are a lot of producers, sherry producers, that want to do the same. And Lestow is one of the ones that do that. It's just, here's the information. Do you know how to read it? So back to, to the producers that I was aware of, Lestow, I thought was this... And obviously Harvey's, right? Harvey's is massive. Yes. Right. Everybody knows Harvey's Bristol Cream. And Blue that's Bob, it, right? right? Bristol Cream, I thought was a, a sherry of cream. I thought that was the sherry version of Bailey's. Harvey's so Bristol funny. Cream. But it doesn't even look creamy. And that's that's another reason why the name is yeah. not so great. There's not even any Bristol uh, in it. <laughs> but there's some in Bristol. Bristol's yeah. the name of a town in um, <laughs> The interesting thing that I found from Juan was they are shipping 
out 600,000 bottles per year. That's all, only 100,000 cases mm-hmm. of sherry per year. Mm-hmm. Now compare that to Johnny Walker, mm-hmm. which is a million cases, yep. right? So this is small. Then compare that again to Bodegas Tradicion, 26,000 bottles per year. <laughs> That's it. Now, now what they're doing is quite different. Everything that they're releasing is either vor or vorse. Very old and rare or very old, rare sherry. The difference between the two is, is VOR or VOR is average age being 20 years old and VORS, VORS, being average age of 30 years. Yeah. So there's a reason why they are going to release far fewer bottles than Lestow would. Well, they've but, got their Fino. The Fino's non-age statement. It's non-age statement, but it's 12 years old. Correct. Correct. Yeah. It's not a VOR. Uh, right? It, right, exactly. No, it doesn't fit that that classification. Or that I learned category. one thing today. I got to hey. wield it like a sword. Right? So here you've got this world-renowned name, Lestau, that, you know, even Redbreast has their Lestau edition, right? You think of Sherry. There's a reason why Redbreast wants to put Lestau on there. That's a prestigious name. You think a prestigious producer is going to be releasing shits onto Sherry and, and they just aren't. Yeah. Um, so I, that that struck me as as interesting, and I think talks to the category of sherry, sadly dying. Hopefully, it'll be coming back, but you know that that's a story for another day. Um, and I don't particularly want to go down that rabbit hole right now. But what I do want to mention, and this is something that blew my mind, and maybe it shouldn't have, but I, it's still wowing me, is where the word sherry came from. Mm. That is not a Spanish word. It's an it's an English word, but it's not. It doesn't have an English mm-hmm. origin. So sherry has been produced in Jerez since the 1200s or so, somewhere around there. I'm trying to remember if it was the 1200s or 1400s. Juan, I apologize for not remembering the exact year, but it was basically done by the Muslims that were living here in Hereth, and what they were doing is they were taking their distilled alcohol and they were fortifying their wine with alcohol to make it stable for shipment to other areas to sell the wine. And that was the creation of sherry. However, they called it Shoresh. And they called it Shoresh because that is the Arabic word for Hereth, where we are. So Sharesh or Hareth, Sharesh, Sherry. You can see that evolution of the word. And it just blew my mind that this is a, a product that, that came from uh, Muslim heritage. And I just found that to be so very, very cool. So the Muslims made Sherry mm-hmm. to trade with non-Muslim countries. Mm-hmm. They were not consuming. They weren't consuming the sherry that they were making. Mm-hmm. I just want to make that crystal clear yeah. for for any listeners of ours who who might take umbrage with us suggesting that Muslims were drinking sherry oh, yeah. good, good when point. it's forbidden uh, by religious law. So. Yeah, for the for the religious Muslims. Yeah, no, that I think that's a very good yeah, point. Just a good clarify. clarification. But that really took me by surprise. I figured that. The wine was just a wine from Spain. As someone in England 
really liked it and came up with a name and called it Sherry as 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 a marketing thing. And that's not the case. It it comes from the Muslim word Shoresh, which is their word for Hereth, which is where we are right now in Spain. Well, and the fact that the British tried to co-opt, you know, the the history and the origin of Sherry as they were spreading it around the Commonwealth. Yeah. And the fact that the people of Hereth fought to, to keep their own history. Yeah. Yep. And, and not have it be a new history placed upon them. Good point. And and I, I love the sound of that. And again, it speaks to the pride of the people, the ownership of the people, and saying, no, this, this is ours. And so just like we were saying today uh, with Juan about original designation uh, for things like mezcal, you also have original designation of Sherry and Hereth. And it's very important, especially for, for the people of Hereth. So interesting that your people, Jason. I, well, it was technically, not to confuse issues here, but I feel as much member of an oppressed society as anybody. Help, help, I'm being repressed. Under English rules in 1707. So, oh. Yeah. It wasn't 1706 or 1708, it was 1707. Yes, uh, signing of the Union. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, good on them. In my mind, they got one up on the English. So. <laughs> <laughs> Some of my best friends are English. Do I say that at this point? <laughs> um, and, and then the last thing, oh, you know what? I'm not going to bring it up here. I want to bring this up in the misconceptions area because I had my own misconception about something. And I'll bring that in a little later. Uh, looks like you have something you want to say. Well, I just wanted to clarify. You 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 made an apology to Juan for, for misremembering 1200 or 1400. Oh, shit, is it 1300? And so I just <laughs> wanted to to do just some very quick research. It's not what we tend to do for this podcast. <laughs> But given that you were... That's it, this podcast is over. <laughs> given that you're 200 years apart uh-huh. on what you were remembering, uh-huh. that made me nervous. Did it? And given that we've kind of taken on the mantle of sharing Sherry, the history, the tradition, the mm-hmm. values, the pride, I just wanted to get it right. So first part is I'm going to give you a fun little factoid. I like factoids. The first mention of Sherry wine comes from the Greek geographer Starbo in the first century B.C., so that's kind of fun. BCE, go on. I, I'm with you. I, yeah. I always use BCE. Just, so why'd you use BCE? Because this sword said BCE and I just figured okay. I'd yeah, keep, BCE. It, keep it clean. Uh, in his book, Geography, Volume 3, if you're keeping score at home. Oh. I haven't read Volume 1 or 2, but I'm going to jump right into Volume 3. Volume 7 is where it comes together. In my he opinion. writes, Starbo, Stra- Strabo, I'm sorry, that the first vines were brought to the Hereth region by the Phoenicians in 1100 BCE. Okay, so that's when the vines were taken over. <laughs> in 1100 BCE? 1100 BCE. Yeah, but distillation didn't start that early. That's when grapes came over. Well, there was some talk of the Egyptians. There's an Egyptian woman attributed, uh, I want to say something like 4000 BCE, that she was the first distiller. B-C-E? Yes, sir. I feel like we're going to be cutting a lot of this shit out. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think it's kind of fun. It's a fun back and forth. Um, In 1264... There there are people all throughout the Sherry world 
saying, stay in your lane, gents. Stay in your lane. <laughs> stay in your lane, bro. <laughs> um, in 1264, King Al- Alfonso X of Castile reclaimed Hereth from the Moors and life in the Sherry region changed radically. This is why we don't do research. It just confuses the issue. <laughs> yeah, I felt... I felt perfectly comfortable. Even in the 12th century, Joshua, sherry wines were being exported to England. 12th century, so there you go. Even in the 12th century, sherry wines were being exported to England. Okay, so the Muslims did this years and years ago and started exporting it years and years ago. I think we've nailed it, Jason. (laughs) 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 (sighs) I think we've done our work here. I think we've done our work. All right. I think we do need to move on a bit, though. Am I, am I right in saying that? I love that? that part. I'm going to do future research. That was fun. <sighs> so one thing I want to point out to those listeners is we, we're drinking whiskey. And one of the things that we've discovered is that this whiskey that we're drinking, again, 14-year-old Springbank, dark as could be, I think it was a bit overshared, at least for our tastes. And It, it was at that natural Cask yeah, strength. but I, you know, watching you add some water to it with a bit of water, this is—it's still unidimensional. I think it's big and woody. It's big and woody, but but it's quite quaffable. It's very quaffable. You and I have uh, polished off a few of these during the conversation. Yeah, I think we went through a third of bottle. <laughs> I was just looking at the bottle over your shoulder there, see so I could see around the corner. Yeah, so so we have exacting standards. Yeah, but yeah, it's damn quaffable. Yeah. Before we go on to how people can contact us and misconceptions, do we have any news that we wish to share? Extra, extra, read all about it. Life story of Playboy Penny. Extra, 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 read all about it. If I was going to say anything, I would say single cast nation retail is coming to more and more markets. yeah, who did who just who started bringing some in? Uh, DC, Maryland, Delaware, uh, just signed on. Uh, Tennessee, I think we're almost done with the paperwork there. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got people in Wisconsin who have been looking for it. Uh, we've it been in Wisconsin. Be we've been in Indiana yep. since sort of you know Q four of last year. Uh, it's looking like. Texas may be coming on board. I was going to add in Texas in just a moment as well. Uh, But but not for the current release, which is release number four, which had our 18-year-old Stones of Stenness, 13-year-old McDuff, 10-year-old Kregelke. That's basically all sold out from our warehouse and with the distributors already within our network. So that would be release number five for Texas. Exactly, exactly. But I also wanted to reiterate a point that we made in the last podcast, which is... Whichever state you are in, we have national distribution. Go to your favorite store, no matter which state it's in, and let that store owner know you're looking for Single Cast Nation and let them go to their distributor and let their distributor go to our importer. And and you can start to work your way up the, the chain of command now to bring it in. So yeah. so you're you, you as a consumer are in a much stronger position now. And and we thank you for doing that. Obviously, you, you're out there looking for the whiskey that you want, but in the end you're really helping us to get onto more shelves 
uh, and, and and getting discovered by more whiskey lovers, and that's that's hugely important. To uh, us. Speaking of discovery, I got an email from a chap uh, who picked up a retail bottle of ours in a in a liquor store in New Jersey, and from that pickup in the liquor store, went to the website, saw the online offerings, and started purchasing online to ship direct to his doorstep. Love it. Um, to add in more single cast nation casks. And so that was wonderful. And he said he was just very happy to hear about the company and our history and how we do business. Uh, yeah, it was really yeah. tremendous. I love getting emails like that. Yeah, and, and we started seeing some of our members posting their single cast nation collections on our Facebook oh, page. Oh, yeah. There's, and, there's you some know, doozies out there. You know, people posting their picture and they say, that's great. Look at mine. <laughs> and uh, it's it's been a, a great version of if you show me mine, I'll show you yours. I was going to uh, say, I always do that with a dick pic. If somebody sends me a dick pic, I say, that's great. Look at mine. Is that how the, that's how those work. It, it is, but the zooming in on yours, it's really difficult. Is it pixelated <laughs> or dick-selated? Oh, oh, wait, wait, that's to the penis with me. That's two days. Two yeah, days right, with right, Joshua days. and Haref. Yeah. All right. All right, so, so that's it for news. That's all I wanted to add in is, is just that good news. Speaking of people emailing you stuff, if people want to email us, and, and I urge you to email us actually, because we will be hosting our mailbag episode come mid-February. And this is where we are going to be answering any questions that you send us via email, Facebook, um, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. Uh, please send us your questions. We want to have a really nice uh, mailbag episode. Some questions have been flowing in, which is great. Some really interesting ones. Um, some questions saying, please don't answer this on the podcast. This is directly for you. So we'll, we'll answer you guys uh, separately. But yeah, send us your questions. Emails uh, can go to questions at one nation under whiskey.com. Uh, you can Instagram us at one nation under whiskey. Tweeted us at One Nation Whiskey, or go to go to Facebook, go to the Facebook search bar, go to the One Nation Under Whiskey group. You can post a post a comment there, post a question there, whatever you want to do. And if you do want to email us a question for the mailbag episode, you'll need to get it to us by January thirty first. Yes, because that uh, episode will drop whatever the Wednesday is around February thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, whatever uh, somewhere around there. That's that's when that episode will drop. So we need two weeks to get it turned around. So January thirty one, if you're going to get a question to us, yep. please. Yep. Oh wow, that is right around the corner, Jason. It is. Bloody hell. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Days they pass. <laughs> so I think now would be a good time to go into the misconceptions area or segment of the podcast, as you'd say. Before we go to Juan's misconception, I wanted to put something out there because you and I, Jason, have, have said this in a previous podcast or two as has a guest of ours said this in a previous podcast, and that, that will have been David Stirk. And the comment was that there is no such thing as, as Spanish oak, that Spanish oak, when it comes to sherry casks, doesn't exist. So when you see a bottle of Macallan, Glenlivet, you know, you, whoever it is, and they say Spanish oak, we should be reading that as 
sherry oak and not Spanish oak because the amount of oak in Spain is minuscule and it's protected. Okay. Right? Which is true. Those, those two last points those are very true. Those two last parts are very true. And in fact, most European oak, which is a lot of the oak used to produce sherry, you've got your mixture, right? You've got your American oak and you've got your European oak. There's European oak from places like Romania and in, in other places, and obviously American oak from America, and not a lot of Spanish oak. But you and I, Jason, yesterday went to a cooperage. It's right? true. Which is the main reason that we're, we're in Hareth. Really the main reason we're in Hareth is we wanted to go to Hareth. <laughs> That's the main reason we're here. And neither one of our wives listened to this podcast, so we can say that. <laughs> Uh, so we're at a cooperage, and we we knew about this cooperage for a while because um, they sell to a lot of producers. And we're meeting with the the owner of the cooperage, and we're and, I, and we'll post pictures of this. There's you know just stacks and stacks of wood to be turned into staves everywhere, as far as the eye could see. And I said, this is beautiful. What kind of oak is this? And he says, oh, that's Spanish oak. And I said, uh, come again? <laughs> uh, and he said, that, that's Spanish oak. I said, I, th I thought that there really wasn't much Spanish oak. And he reiterated. He said, well, you know, it's, it's controlled. It's protected. Uh, there isn't a lot of it. However, they have a 40-plus-year-old contract to gain access to the Spanish oak. And so you have two reasons why Spanish oak isn't used. A, there's no new contracts being given out. This is a contract that's been grandfathered in. Um, they'll always have access to the Spanish oak. It's not being provided to anyone else. Um, and, then the, and then the other thing is people don't want to use it. Even if they wanted to get their hands on it, mm. it's such a difficult type of of wood to work with because when it dries, it starts to get misshapen. And it's also very knotty as well. So you can cut down the Spanish oak tree. and it's very knotty. You have to spank its bottom early and often. It is so <laughs> knotty. Does it have a safe word, the Spanish oak? <laughs> Banana hammer. <laughs> I, I just found it really interesting that so much of the wood he's using is Spanish oak. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but but again, as you're talking about it being very naughty, it's it's also uh, for our American listeners that's <laughs> naughty, not naughty. No, it's naughty. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> and so it's it's labor intensive. You need a pair of hands working on it. Mm -hmm. It's not just you run it through a machine. It's not just you run it through a saw. Yeah. It's you need a pair of hands working with it all the time. All the time. And so there's your pricing again. Then your pricing goes up because yeah. you've got a pair of hands on it all the time. However, we know the distilleries that work with this cooperage and we know the quality of the whiskey that these that these producers are bottling and one thing that i found interesting you know it's not only a cooperage but you know this they they have their own bodegas and once they're done maturing their sherry and and bottling it or or selling it to to other people for their own labels when they ship the casks out 
the ship was still with a bit of sherry in there, about five liters or so, to keep the casks wet. And they do that rather than put sulfur candles in, mm-hmm. which is what a lot of producers are doing. And, and they, they do that simply to keep the bugs out and you know to make sure that nothing's going to happen to the casks. Basically what his said or his view was that the sulfur is going to kill the cask. It's going to make your whiskey smell farty and or like lit matches. And it's like, no, I don't want those notes going to your sherry. You know, this is a guy that knows whiskey and understands whiskey and has been working with the whiskey industry for over 30 years. So, you know, there's a reason we went to see him. But my misconception was that there was no Spanish oak out there. And to hear that he's using so much of it at his cooperage and for his own sherries, it really blew my mind. And so therefore, it is a bit of a misconception because there is Spanish oak out there. Just not a ton. However, interesting that he uses so much of it in his own production. Yeah. 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 So so with with yours in the books, mm-hmm. let's throw it back over to Juan for one more time. And I think he hits the nail on the head with his. At the end, is what I tell is that sherry, the most common of, of the sherries is the sweet because it's more easy. All everything more sweet is more easy to drink. Okay. And Usually, it's more conquistate um, all the people. Okay, in my opinion, Jerez is 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 not a wine for everybody. Okay, do you have a wine? Do you have a sherry for everybody? And you have a wine for all the moments of the day. Mm-hmm. That is something very important. Okay, but the people always ask are scary. They are scary with the sherry or with wine because they don't know it. Mm -hmm. But I only need to tell them that think in them, okay, and um, believe in the people who can um, show them some product, a new product that they never never, uh, try. And to be, my opinion is that they must be... um, Confiado, confident, confidence, confidence yeah. uh, with the people who can, for example, in the case of Lustau, you will come and you are going to discover a completely range of the dry cherries, and obviously at the end, the sweet and vermouth. Mm-hmm. Okay, but uh, they must to, in my opinion, they must to be uh, more open. They have. They, they must to have more open mind, mm-hmm. okay, to discover that special flavors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Jerez is a, is like a color palette, okay, mm-hmm. and you have a sherry uh, for every moment of the day, okay. For example, before um, uh, land in a, in a freezer day, land today, for example, I open Ambulazo Famontillado or Palo Cortado, or Oloroso, is that what the people in Jerez do it. And after, when they have one or two glasses, you can change and drink Fino, okay? More light, and at the end you can drink more of a Fino. And, and for example, if, and after um, talking about pairing, Jerez play incredible well with the, with the, with the food, mm-hmm. okay? Because mm-hmm. it's an extra ingredient of the food, outside, okay? 
you eat it and when you add it, when you add it to a glass of sherry, the explosion in your mouth is amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For example, a spicy food with amontillados, um, meat, red meat, um, with olorosos and palo cortados, uh, game uh, shooting. Um, for example, with fish, it's incredible, and the best white wine uh, is Fino or Manzanilla. Right. Okay, and Fino del Puerto, with the influence of the iodine of El Puerto yeah. de Santa Maria, yeah. uh, one of the towns of, of the Sherry Triangle. And, and you don't need to, and sometimes the people say, oh, but it's, it's very heavy in, 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 in alcohol. No. Yeah. Jerez, you need to drink less mm. than a steel wine. Okay, with one glass or two glasses or three glasses during a, a, a meal, you are well yeah. and you don't need more. Mm. And that is very important. Does that wrap it up for us, Mr. Johnston Yellen? I think it does, Joshua yeah. Hatton. I think we came, we saw, we drank, we tasted, mm -hmm. we ate. Mm -hmm. It is funny, of course, being <laughs> in, you know, we, we travel a lot and we always have to tell people, yeah, we're both vegetarian. I would say Juan gave us the best response to that today. And I, I figured going to Spain would be a little more difficult. They're, they've got their Iberico ham that they're very, very, very proud of. Yeah, there's, there's, there's pig legs everywhere, everywhere you look. Everywhere, everywhere you turn. Every I've been wearing pig a pig leg, leg necklace <laughs> all, all week. At you. But when we told Juan today uh, that we were both vegetarian, he said... You, he laughed a lot. <laughs> and then he said, you're kidding, right? I, I, in 20-some years of being veggie, I don't think anyone's ever said, you're kidding. No. <laughs> like, you're I, pulling my leg. I'm, I'm at 30 years now, and, and I've been, you're pulling my leg. Nice one with the, with the pig Thank legs. you, thank you. Uh, you know, I've been ridiculed. I've been told, I've been told, you know, you know, scientists have studied that that plants have feelings too. And, you know, what are you going to eat? Grass and like all this other stuff, you know. I've never been laughed at but like, his, but as in what? But for me, it was <laughs> it was it was good natured and innocent. Oh, yeah. yeah without but doubt, he was without just doubt. like, but but then you're not eating all the good food. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like, why would you do that to yourself? So I, I thoroughly enjoyed his company today. He was very oh, generous was with wonderful. his time. Yeah. And with his pores, mm -hmm. and oh we had gosh. a we had a jolly jolly good time. So it's not just Jason and Joshua of One Nation Under Whiskey telling you that you should go to Hareth and visit Lestau. It's also the New York Times, and in this instance, it is not hashtag fake news. <laughs> Here's to being back in America, Joshy. <laughs>